in 1984, I'm going to say this like a Rhode Islander, Tina Turner released a song entitled, What's Love Got to Do With It? What's love but a second-hand emotion is one of the lines in the song. And uh, that's the type of love that is spoken of in, in songs that don't know of a love like God's. That kind of love that the world experiences and sings about is it really brings up people into a tremendous amount of emotional distress. It's like a roller coaster with the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. We fall in love, we fall out of love. It's so transient and temporary and it hurts. But God's love is radically different. It's radically different. God's love is a sturdy, unbending, unchanging love. God's love is unwavering and undeserved. We don't earn God's love, and we don't find a way to keep God's love. God's love has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. It is our desire as those who have experienced God's love to enjoy that love and then to demonstrate that love to others. God uses His love to change us and He pours His love out that our our minds and our hearts to be satisfied in Him. And that love that He has poured into our lives spills out into our relationships with those around us. If I really want to love my wife as God calls me to, I must have God's love demonstrated in me and carrying me along. It is not a love that we learn and do. It's a love that we receive and God uses it in us and through us. What a tremendous blessing. So we receive God's love. We enjoy God's love. And then we point others to that love of God that is relentless. We're in Romans chapter 12. Look please again with me at verses 9-16. through 16. This morning we're only going to cover verses 9 and 10. But just to capture the section... Romans 12, verses 9-16, through God's Word says this, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Wow, there is a lot here. Uh, this morning we're going to cover just the first four 
aspects that this passage gives us and calls us to about God's love being at work within us. You see the title on the screens. It's God's love in us. This is not us manufacturing love. This is not us transforming the love that we already have. This is a supernatural, grace-given, real love. We are in desperate need of it ourselves. Our family around us is in desperate need of this love. Our brothers and sisters in Christ are in desperate need of this love. And the world that we live in, with all of the trauma, consternation, fear, anxiety that they face, and the conflict that resides all about them, they desperately need to see this love. And God has given it to us. This is a grace gift not to hoard like Scrooge. This is a grace gift that should be demonstrated and shared with others. We are needy. We need one another. God has given us what we need to do this. So the first concept we recognize from this passage is that God's love is selfless. God's love is selfless. Look again at verse 9. Let love be genuine. And the word love there is the Greek term agape. It's a selfless love that is unconditional. It's not a love that sees something special in someone and loves them because of that thing that's special. It is a love that derives from within the person that says, I will love you regardless. This is wonderful. This is needed in marriage, right? Because oh, when, when we fall in love, how pretty they are, how handsome they are, and then, you know, it happens. And we age. And our hair falls out. And we wrinkle. And things aren't quite as firm as once they were and you wish they were. And things start to happen. If our love is based on that physical something in that other person, then you can be assured that that love is going to change over time in a negative way. But if that love is something that is derived, it's selfless and unconditional, it changes, but it changes in a different way. It changes in a a positive way because of the affection that God gives us for one another. Agape love is a selfless, unconditional love. Now, it is, that concept of agape love is, is testified to in so many places. We're going to just take a couple of peeks at a few passages uh, this morning. Take a look at Romans chapter 5. You're in 12. Take a look over at Romans chapter 5. This agape love has been demonstrated for us, and it continues to be demonstrated for us most clearly by how God loves us. In Romans chapter 5, look at verse 8. And I know, how many days have you been in church in your life? And how many times have you read through the book of Romans? And how many times have you read Romans chapter 5 and verse 8? And maybe you even have it memorized. I don't know what your situation is, but most of us have, have this verse of Scripture pretty well down. To have the words... 
noted is not the same as understanding and appreciating what is being said. Listen carefully and try to read it afresh. Romans 5.8 But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That gift of Jesus Christ hanging on a cross, being made sin for us, even though we knew no sin, bearing in Himself not only the presence of sin, but the wrath of God against sin, God's wrath against my sin, Jesus took. This demonstrates to this day, to this moment, God's love for us in taking my sin and removing it, placing it on Christ, and having all of the consequences and all of the guilt associated with my sin and removing it forever. This is love. Look at Romans chapter 8 now. Look down to verse 35, right toward the end of Romans chapter 8. Paul writes, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through, through whom? Through Him who loved us. For I am sure of this, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, what we see in Jesus taking our sin upon Him, and we couple that with the sturdiness the unwavering nature of that love, that same love that was demonstrated with Jesus hanging presently on the cross back in 2,000 years ago, that same sturdy love exists right now. Will it exist tomorrow? Next week? Next month? Next year? A decade from now? What if you have a really bad week? A really bad month? A really bad year? A really bad decade? Will that love waver, change, be taken back? God's love is steady and consistent. It's selfless and unconditional. This is a beautiful thing. Take a look at John chapter 15. How great is God's love for me? How great is God's love for you? It's a great question to ask. It becomes unfathomable when we read statements that we're about to read. Look at John chapter 15 and verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Stop right there for a second. How much love does God the Father have for God the Son? How long has that love been in place? This is, again, unfathomable stuff because we think in terms of you know we were born 
You know, I was born in 1976. That's a long time ago. For some of you, it's not that long. For some of you, that's just like, I'm ancient. I know, it's weird. But like you, maybe, maybe your date precedes mine or comes after mine. But that's how, how our mind works. It works in the framework of what we've experienced in this life. Well, try to think about the fact that our country was born in 1776. I mean, that's a long time ago. In world history, it isn't. The United States is a, a newbie when it comes to nations. Now go back to creation. Man alive, a lot happened before now. But the love of God for His Son is eternal. It predates let there be light and there was light. It predates all of the existence of all that we see and feel and experience. This love that the Father has for the Son is eternal, inexhaustible, and this is the love that the Son has for us in, according, in accordance with John 15, verse 9. Look a little further now. John 15, 9. As the Father has loved Me, so I have loved you. Abide in My love. Enjoy My love. Continue in My love. Allow that love to continue among you and in you. Experience it. Enjoy it. Verse 10. If you keep My commandments, you will abide in My love just as I have kept My Father's commandments and I abide in His love. Look down at verse 13. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his... His friends. What? <laughs> Jesus laying down His life for His friends. How do I know from His friends? Well, I'm, I'm going oh, to know what He says. I'm going to see that it's valuable. I'm going to see that it's important. And I'm going to follow after Him. I'm going to abide in His love. I'm going to abide in the things that He's called me to do. Why? Because look at how much He's loved me. He loves me with an unchanging, unfathomable, unbending, unwavering love. Just as the Father loves the Son, so the Son loves us. And quite honestly, if you trace it out, that's how God the Father loves us. That's why before the foundation of the earth, He said, I am going to get you. And I'm going to make you my own. I'm going to write my name on you. And you will be with me forever. It's amazing. This is the love that God has for us. It's a selfless Love. Take a look at Matthew now. Matthew chapter 19. So God's love is a sturdy love, and the love that we are called to love one another with is, is an outflow of that love that we've received. We are to be channels of that love. And you know, that's, that's really easy to say. Oh, I love you until you irritate me or talk behind my back or do something that makes it so I can't have something I want, right? Like, we live in the real world and we've experienced people betray us and it's hard to love in that circumstance. Well, we have a scenario where this rich young ruler comes to Jesus, hey, tell me what I must ha do to, to, to gain eternal life. All right, I, I have some things for you to think about. Let's take a look, please. Matthew 19, look at, starting in verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me 
about what is good. There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, well, which ones? And Jesus said, you you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Just those. The young man said to him, oh, whew, all these I have kept. What still do I lack? Jesus said to him, oh, if you want to be perfect, you want to bring, if you want to come to the end of these things, if you want to be perfect, the the Greek word is teleos, if you want to bring this to completion, go, sell what you possess, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You love your neighbor as yourself. Look at how much you have. Look at what your neighbor has. You have more than he does. Here's how you will see the end of loving your neighbor as yourself. Sell it all and give it to him. Then he'll have it. Do you really love your neighbor as yourself? Uh, Not so much. If you're complete in your love for your neighbor, you'll give him the shirt off your back. Kind of the idea. So as I was thinking about this, I thought of a scene from a book that I listened to called Unbroken. The story of Louis Zamperini. And he, Louis, and Mac and Phil had been shot down out of a plane. And they were in a life raft. And they took inventory of what was in the life raft. They had some chocolate and some water. And so the plan was, in the morning and in the evening, each one of them, Louis, Mac, and Phil, would each have a square of the chocolate. And it would sustain them for a few days. And then sleep happened. And Mac woke up. It was ready to distribute breakfast. And he went into the pocket. Where'd it go? Mac, in his panic and self-preservation that comes naturally to each one of us, ate it all. You and I have a natural inclination towards self-preservation. It's inwrought in us as sinful human beings. In a life or death situation, that natural self-preservation oftentimes is on full display. But you know what runs contrary to self-preservation? Jesus. He runs contrary to self-preservation. And as the book of Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9 tells us, He tasted fully experienced death for everyone. This is selfless love. This is the love that is being called for when we look at let love be genuine. We have experienced this kind of selfless, unconditional, beautiful, sustaining love. And God because He's poured out that love into our hearts by His Spirit, God can call for you and for me to demonstrate that kind of love toward one another. 
And you know what, friends? We all need it. Because we see so much contrary to it in ourselves and around us. That when we come together, what we want to be is a display of the kind of love that God has demonstrated for us. It's a treasure. It is a grace gift. It's a grace gift we want to share with one another. Head back to Romans chapter 12. This kind of love is not a natural love. It doesn't come naturally. It's not a learned love. It's a treasure bestowed on us that can only be distributed by God's power. We look a little further in our passage about love in Romans 12. Look again at verse 9. Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. So God's love is selfless. God's love is genuine. That's the next concept. And genuine in our translation translates a compound word that has the idea of uh, being without hypocrisy, not putting on a mask, not, not uh, conjuring it up and you know, put, putting a good face on. God never has to hide or pretend. Did you know that? God doesn't ever have to act like He loves you. It's not a pretend thing. It's genuine. God is exactly who He says He is. You know, remember when, when Moses was at the burning bush and they had their conversation. He had to take his shoes off because he was on holy ground. And, and you know, God let Moses know he was going to go to the people of Israel and lead them. Do you remember Moses said, well, who shall I tell them is, is your name? What do, what do I tell them? Who are you? And God said to him, I am who I am. I'm not making stuff up. I am who I am. God is. He's the self-existent one. God is everything that we need. I am has sent me to you. When God, when God loves us, is He looking for payback? I'll love you so long as you give 10%. I'll love you so long as you serve me all the days of your life. I'll love you so long as you obey all the commandments. He's, he's provided. He's provided for us assurance of His love because Jesus fulfilled every command on our behalf. And when we turn from our sin, we see our sin, we see the problem, we say, no, this isn't, this isn't going to turn out well, and we turn to Christ and we see what He has done for us, we receive from God not only forgiveness of our sin, but a perfect and enduring record of perfect righteousness. Does that mean I don't want to obey? That's not the point. I want to obey. I want to follow God. I want to do what He says. Don't you? But my being loved by God is not conditioned on that because God has demonstrated that His love is fully mine because my record has been changed. I am righteous. Are you righteous? Through faith. The records are changed. Instead of it being robbed, the sinner, that sin has been placed on Christ's account. He became sin for me who knew no sin. 
Why? That I might become the righteousness that belongs to Christ. It's placed on my account. Rob the righteous. It's all changed. And so I stand in perfect confidence that God loves me because He's done everything necessary to prove it. God's not looking for payback. God, God doesn't need anything. Did you know that so much of the religious world, it almost like it, it paints this picture like this deity is, is in desperate straits for people to do something to make him feel better. Listen to this passage. Take a look at Acts chapter 17. You're in Romans. Take a left. One book. Acts chapter 17. So much of the love that we experience in the world is based upon the reciprocation of the one loved. I'll be a good husband to you if you respond well to my love. If you stop, I stop. God is not in such a condition. Acts chapter 17. I'm going to cut right into the middle of this section where Paul is telling the people of Athens about this unknown God that they set up a shrine to. In verse 24, listen carefully to these words. Acts 17.24 It says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is He served by human hands. Ready? Will you read the next few words with me? As though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Let that sit on you for a moment. God doesn't need. God provides. He's not a recipient. He's a provider. This love that we have received from God is a grace given and entrusted to us that we want to be on display in us. So with that being said, take a look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Genuine love. We're talking about non-hypocritical, non-conditional love. Love that we've received. Love that we want to be on display. And that genuine love that we've received, we want to be displayed. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22. 1 Peter 1.22 says, Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth, that is a, a response to the Gospel, by obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love. Let one, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. A sanctified heart. A heart that's been set apart for God. A, a heart that's been set apart for this kind of love. You have been purified. Who did that purifying? God did. When? When you obeyed the truth. That is a, a response to the Gospel. God calls us to Himself. We say, yes Lord, I believe that response to the truth purifies our hearts, that leads unto genuine brotherly affection. Real love for one another. This love that we're talking about is a fruit of God's Spirit. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control or temperance. It's a fruit of God's Spirit. It's natural, and I think none of, us, none of us are above this, it is natural to hold other people accountable for how they fail you. You see someone, they, they go about things in a certain way, 
you, you, it's in the back of your mind how they responded, how they dealt with you. When people fail you, you hold them accountable in your mind. It requires God's supernatural work for you and for me to love the unlovely, the undeserving, and those who are ungrateful. Let me ask you a question. I think I know the answer to it, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Is God's love attractive to you? Have you tasted that the Lord is gracious? Paul said God's love was so compelling to him. In the King James, I think that the word is constraineth. The love of God constraineth me. What was it constraining him to do? To say, my life is yours. I'll live for you. God, your love is so amazing to me that I want nothing else. I just want to follow after you. So God's love is selfless. God's love is genuine. Next in our discussion from Romans 12, God's love is pure. God's love is pure. Back in Romans 12.9, it's almost like he switches his subjects, but he doesn't. Take a look back in Romans 12. If you isolate the second half of Romans 12.9 from the rest of the context, you could have a really great conversation about that which is evil and that which is good, and it would be a fruitful conversation. But we don't separate and divide it out as if it's some different subject. It's in, it's in the context of love. So we're talking about a love that is pure. A love that seeks what is best for one another. So let's look at Romans 12.9. It says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. The word abhor comes from a word that basically just says to hate it. Hate evil. Be glued to what is good. That's the literal idea being conveyed. Hate what is evil. Be glued or cemented to what is good. Paul makes a similar statement in 1 Corinthians 3.6 when he says, Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. The word there for wrongdoing can be translated unrighteousness. Adikios is the Greek word. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. What is going on here? Like, What is the point? Why does true love for one another, why, in our true love for one another, why do we hate evil? Have you seen what evil does to people? Have you seen the pain and the turmoil and the depression and the destruction that evil does to people? That in and of itself motivates us. Think about it this way. that Solomon in Proverbs 5 wrote this statement. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. So making reference to the fact that when we, when we allow evil to, to trap us and allure us, it then gets its tentacles on us. And you've seen it happen. Maybe, maybe it's happened a time or a million to you. 
and you've seen it happen to people that you care about and love, it starts to give you a pretty sour taste in your mouth for that which is evil. The Proverbs regularly warn of the difficulty associated with the way of sin. Uh, so we see the destruction that sin leads toward, and we hate the path. We think of just a, a few quick examples. Achan's sin and how it impacted he and his family. Remember, he was you know, part of that group of people as they were conquesting the promised land and they were supposed to go and take all the treasury and, and, and put it either in the Lord's treasury or burn it. That was the concept. And he saw something. He was like, ooh, those items, those uh, rich items will, will be great security for my family and me. So I'm going to take them and I'm going to hide them and it's really going to work out well for me and for my family. And how did that work out for he and his family? Not well. It was a, it was a bad situation in the Valley of Achor. And then, how about King David's sin? Whose, whose lives did King David's sin impact? Him, his family, and an entire nation. The whole nation was impacted by David's sin. Well, and to a different degree, our sin impacts those around us, right? Think about how people act around you when you're ornery, cranky, angry. How do people act around you when you're impatient? Does your, does your sin impact those around you? Yeah. And when you see that impact, it, it makes you hate your activity in providing this, this not happy environment for those around you. Hate that which is evil. When someone falls into transgression, when someone is taken prey by sin, what is it that you and I do to help them? Let's take a look. God's Word gives us good clarity about this. This is really helpful because... I don't know about you. Yes, I do. I'm going to be honest. You sin every day. Like I do. Not proud of that. It's a reality. So all of us need one another in the midst of our sin because every one of us sins every day. So take a look, please, at Galatians 6. When someone we love sins... We don't want them to experience that pain. We, we hate that which causes these unnecessary problems. And so God, through Paul, gives us instruction about how to help those who are caught, he says, in sin. Galatians 6, look at verses 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in, what does it say? Any transgression. So like, this is like the, the little ones. This is the medium-sized ones. And this is the gargantuan ones. Any transgressions. So we, we, have, we have pretty good clarity so far, right? If anyone is caught in any kind of transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? 
to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. How do I love you in the midst of your sin? By reminding you who you can go to. By reminding you what He is like. By reminding you of the joy of freedom that comes in Him. By by reminding you that, that your transgression doesn't need to hold you. You've been set free. And so God can give you that freedom so that that sin is no longer gripping you. So we point one another to our Savior. It's painful when we fall into sin and we desire to come alongside those who are in that situation demonstrating the mercy, kindness, and love of God. We want those that we love not only to experience that mercy, but to to experience the ultimate good that comes from the Lord. We think about what God is like. And we want to lead people to our good God. So we think, okay, we abhor that which is evil because we know what it does to us. We abhor what is evil because we know what it does to those around us. And we cleave or we're cemented to that which is good. What is the reason for this? We know who our good God is and we know what He gives is good. And so we think of passages like James chapter 1 and verse 17. Every good and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down uh, from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. James 1.17 And we also see in Matthew chapter 7 and verses 9-11 through 11, uh, where Jesus is talking about prayer. He says, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? Or if you then uh, are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who, are, father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? So we know how good God is. So when we're talking about cleaving to good, we're talking about cleaving to the source of that which is good. Do you find God's gifts to be just right and on time? Think about the way He deals with us every single day. When we come before Him with boldness, what do, we, what do we receive at just the right time? Mercy and grace to help. When? In the nick of time. Just at the right time. This is the kind of God we have. So we know how good God is. We've tasted Him. We've tasted His goodness. And in our relationships to others, we want those who we are uh, in relationship with to con- constantly be pointing to Him. So we're encouraged to hold fast to that which is good. To be glued to that which is good. There's a lot more to say on that, but I've got to move to our next section. So we've talked about the fact that God is selfless. God's love is selfless. That God's love is genuine. It's It's not hypocritical kind of love. Now we've talked about the fact that God's love is pure and that we want it to characterize our love. Fourthly, God's love is tender. God's love is tender. Head back to Romans 12, please. Maybe you're not an ushy-gushy-feely kind of person. This passage uses what you would consider to be ushy-cushy kind of language. So whether you're ushy-cushy-gushy kind of person or not, 
we've got to understand what this text is saying. So we look at verse 10, just the first section of it. It says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Paul is driving at something here that we see more clearly in the Greek. The first word for love in verse 10 is the Greek term philostorgos. Philo, tender affection. Storgos, family. So that's the first word love there, is a family love. A tender family affection. And then he continues, he says, love one another with brotherly affection. So now we have Philadelphia, tender love for brothers. There's a soft spot in our hearts for our little ones. Why? Because they have our genes in them. Right? Look at these pictures. Look at that little girl. I could have put up a, a hundred other pictures. She just absolutely melts me. Look at, look at this one. Look at that kid. I wish I blew it up bigger so you could see it in uh, a, a little better. But look at that kid. Look, he, he just makes me melt. How about this one? I've got two pictures of this guy, very happy, playing the drums with um, glue sticks and a whistle. I'm sure that that was a pleasant sound. But he just, it's, this is my son. I love him. Look at him. He's so happy in the police car at the fire station that day. It was, it's beautiful. And then, you know, I, I remember, I'll, I'll never forget that. That's too small. Man, sorry about the, the size of the picture. But that's my, my oldest three in their PJs. I'm sure they're going to be happy about that. We'll hear about it later. But what do you think? Who do you think is, is more affected by those pictures, me or you? Me. Why? Those are my kids. I love them like crazy. Now, I know you have a tender affection for them, but it's different. Those are my kids. They, they, they came from me. The Lord's entrusted them to me. This is the concept that we're getting when we start to see love one another with brotherly affection. Not just the brotherly part. He says, have a family love for one another with brotherly affection. He's emphasizing this family nature of all of this. It's vitally important. Do you know that that God has this type of tender affection toward His people? He's not... God out there. He's our Father. And He bought us for Himself. He paid the ultimate price by sending Jesus to the cross for us. We are His children. He is our Father. And Jesus is not ashamed, according to Hebrews chapter 10, to call us brothers. He's going to announce it in front of everyone, He says in the assembly. These are my brothers. And he's also not ashamed to call me his friend. These are tender relationships. And God describes them so we'll understand that this is not just some some sterile, mechanical thing. This is real affection that God has for me, that my Savior Jesus Christ has for me. And this family love that I've been brought into, God entrusts to me to share with others. Why is it that you and I have tender affection for one another? We are connected forever. 
Take a moment and look around. Like just literally turn, turn your head, look around at the people around you. My point is, in this looking around, are these believers, have, have these people trusted Christ as their Savior? You're going to spend eternity with them in the presence of God because of God's amazing grace and love and affection. Because we've been tied together, later on in Romans 12 and verse 15, he says, we rejoice with those who rejoice. And we weep with those who weep. Paul talks in Colossians 2 about how our, our, we, our lives have been tied together. We've been knit together in love. This is what God has done. It's easy for our love for one another to grow cold. Like That comes naturally because we're so busy and preoccupied and we forget how impactfully God uses us in one another's lives. But this love that we're talking about this morning that, that we've received, it, it's not a natural thing. It's not based upon whether we have, you know, whether we're busy at a certain time in life. It doesn't arrive because we study about it. It's a gift that we've experienced. It's a demonstration of God's Spirit's work in our lives that we care for one another and recognize that's my brother. That's my sister. The one for whom Christ died. We're tied together forever. When we're displaying that kind of love, we're demonstrating who God is. You know, again, in life, we, we run short of our own resources. Sometimes our tenderness is gone. And we go to Christ for our refuge. And He supplies to us fresh love. Love that, that we experience and enjoy. And love that we then, by His grace, demonstrate to other people. Have you experienced the great love of God through Christ? Have you experienced what it's like to know your sin is forgiven, that you have righteousness and life because of Christ. Jesus said this in John 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall never hunger. Whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen Me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives Me will come to Me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. If you have not yet experienced that love of God and you don't, it doesn't resonate with you what we're talking about, I want to call, I want to invite you with the words of Christ, come to him, come to him, and he will demonstrate that love very clearly. And your life will never be the same. If you come, He won't turn you aside. Let's pray together. Father, we come to You recognizing Your love to be abundant and unwavering. Help us to be channels of that love, that Your love be at work in us and through us for Your glory's sake. In Jesus' name, Amen.